from the rule of our Holy Father, St. Benedict. Chapter the seventh, the Unilitate continued. The ninth degree of humility is that a monk refrain his tongue from speaking, keeping silence until a question be asked him, as the scripture showeth, in much talking thou shalt not avoid sin, and the talkative man shall not be directed upon the earth. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Uh, we begin today um, the section of the Twelve Degrees of Humility that relate to silence, or as St. Benedict calls it, reticence to speak, taciturnity. And also uh, St. Benedict will address uh, the question of laughter, which of course is not good cheer, but something else entirely. More about that tomorrow. Silence, obedience, and humility go together. The silent man is, as a rule, obedient and humble. The obedient man, silent and humble. The humble man, silent and obedient. Where one finds one of these virtues, one will find the other too. The man who talks much is rarely a good listener. The man who will not listen to God loses the ability to listen to others, and the man who will not listen to others loses the ability to listen to God. St. Benedict enjoins the practice of silence because he knows that in much speaking there will inevitably occur sins against charity, justice, purity, truth, and many other virtues. In his little work on the duties of the clergy, St. Ambrose says, Now, what we ought to learn before everything else is to be silent, that we may be able to speak. Lest my voice should condemn me before that of another acquit me, for it is written, By your words you shall be condemned. What need is there, then, that you should hasten to undergo the danger of condemnation by speaking when you can be more safe by keeping silent? How many have I seen to fall into sin by speaking, but scarcely one by keeping silent? And so it is more difficult to know how to keep silent than how to speak. I know that most persons speak because they do not know how to keep silent. It is seldom that anyone is silent, even when speaking profits him nothing. He is wise, then, who knows how to keep silent. Lastly, the wisdom of God said, The Lord has given to me the tongue of learning, that I should know when it is good to speak. Justly, then, is he wise who has received of the Lord to know 
when he ought to speak. Wherefore, Scripture says, Well, a wise man will keep silence until there is opportunity. I suppose that, that most of us come into the monastery with having grown up with the notion uh, that uh, there's a certain security in speaking much. We read in the life of St. Anthony of the Desert that when he was a small boy, he didn't like to speak much, and even then, he was thought a bit odd. Uh, and I, I think that we find that already uh, in, in something as, as ancient as the life of St. Anthony. Um, children uh, are encouraged very often uh, to, to, to speak much, and we, we sometimes see this when we have children visit. Um, there's this kind of endless, endless chatter. And, and that is a part of growing up. But part of maturity is that that endless chatter gives way to a wise silence. Um, we sometimes find in, in college students uh, the, the, the need to um, uh, keep talking, um, and it's almost an assurance of an affirmation of, of self. As long as I keep talking, I am. I talk, therefore I am. Uh, we see this sometimes with, with uh, college and university students, um, uh, this, this, this drive to keep up an endless flow of discourse. Uh, silence begins with oneself. There are men who keep up a ceaseless conversation with themselves. Um, these souls are polluted by the noise of their own vain chatter. I read recently of, of, a, of a chap who was very interested in eremitical life, and he wanted to meet a real hermit, the real thing. And he was told to go out to some place I believe it was in the desert in Nevada, where there was a real hermit. And he, he, he drove out and finally uh, found uh, the, the, the dwelling of this so-called hermit. And um, he said, no sooner had he arrived than, than the hermit began an unbroken, an unbroken, uh, conversation without, he, he, he couldn't even ask a question. And it just, just talking, random talking, kind of stream of consciousness talking. And um, he, he realized then that the hermit also talked to himself all day, every waking moment. Um, he, he, this man, uh, although he was living in complete solitude, um, kept up a conversation with himself and with imaginary entities all the time. And, and so we can see that uh, this um, tendency to want to keep up a conversation in one's head is, is, is insidious and pernicious. The conversations we hold with ourselves, these secret conversations are made up more often than not, of criticisms, complaints, 
comparisons. Um, one indulges in detailed judgments of one's brethren and in reveries of self-pity. And even sometimes when we go to prayer, uh, we cannot pray because the interior noise keeps us from adoring in the silence of a listening heart. Uh, it sometimes happens that even during the psalmody, a brother is carrying on a parallel conversation in his head. So that the words of the psalm are coming out of his mouth, mechanically, but in his head, there's another uh, conversation going on. And, and that, of course, um, uh, eviscerates uh, the psalmody, doesn't it? Uh, the psalmody then becomes um, really sounds coming out of the mouth, but the real conversation is going on in, in one's thoughts. So even for the psalmody, uh, as, as for all music, silence is, um, is not uh, what happens when the music stops. Um, it, it is the very, uh, it's integral it's integral to, to the music, and silence is indispensable if we are to sing psalms as St. Benedict would have us do with understanding, sapienter, tasting the psalms. Uh, a man cannot taste uh, the psalmody if he is engaged with uh, his own uh, thoughts and holding debates and conversations and uh, discourse about many things all the while uh, reciting the Psalms. There are also men, even among us I suppose, who cannot let go of the past. Uh, I often have encountered this in souls who come to me, um, who keep an interior archive of old recordings, negative and hurtful things said by parents, or siblings, or teachers, or employers, or colleagues. I'm thinking of one soul, oh, this soul would be in his 70s, who can still tell you uh, every negative thing said to him 65 years ago. Uh, he has an accurate archive of everything his father a teacher, a priest, uh, said to him that affected him negatively. And he won't let go of it. He keeps rearranging the archives <laughs> and keeping them, <laughs> keeping them available. Um, and uh, when one does this, <coughs> at the slightest provocation, one can replay the old recordings and respond to them inwardly with the same emotions they elicited when they were first spoken. Fear, resentment, anger, sadness, discouragement. I think of this particular individual who, who very often will, will uh, talk about the negative experiences of his childhood and repeat verbatim things that were said to him as a small boy. And immediately 
he starts churning inwardly with the same emotions of fear and resentment and anger and sadness and discouragement. And, of course, this, these things bring in their wake uh, other, other problems. So, one who is resolved to practice a true Benedictine silence must have the courage to get rid of his interior archive of old recordings. Such voices from the past impinge on the present and pollute the heart with a toxic noise. St. Isaac the Syrian is representative of a whole monastic tradition where he says, Many are avidly seeking, but they alone find who remain in continual silence. By this he doesn't mean, um, first of all, uh, silence uh, of the mouth, but he means silence in the memory, silence in the imagination. Every man who delights in a multitude of words, understand here by words, thoughts, even though he says, understand here, thinks, admirable things, is empty within. If you love truth, be a lover of silence. Silence, like the sunlight, will illuminate you in God and deliver you from the phantoms of ignorance. Silence will unite you with God himself. More than all things, love silence. It brings you a fruit that tongue cannot describe. In the beginning, says St. Isaac, we have to force ourselves to be silent, uh, even, even uh, silent within, so that if you begin to notice uh, the old recordings, uh, inadvertently you, you hit the play button uh, and the old recordings begin to play. Uh, you have to uh, develop the, um, uh, the response of immediately hitting the stop button. And, and not only the stop button, but get rid of the archives. Get rid of them. Throw them into the fire. And, and to do this, it, at least in my experience, nothing is, is more effective than the practice of the prayer of the heart. St. Bernard says somewhere that um, one can only drive a nail out of a piece of wood by using another nail. A very interesting image. You have to take the hammer and drive out the nail with another with another nail, and toxic thoughts are are driven out um, uh, by ceaseless prayer and by simple prayer, uh, by by that um, ceaseless prayer of the heart that is uh, calling on the name of Jesus is is what is most effective. If only you will practice this, says Saint Isaac, untold light will dawn upon you as a consequence. After a while, a certain sweetness is born in the heart of this exercise, and the body is drawn almost by force to remain in silence. This, this is one of the principal battles of a novice, and not only of a novice, uh, but very often for uh, the first 25 years or more of the monastic life. Uh, one does battle with one's thoughts, with the conversations that um, uh, take place in one's head. Uh, and, and this is where the, the recourse to ceaseless prayer comes in. But again, there be very careful. 
because you can't make yourself pray ceaselessly with every heartbeat and every breath. You can't force yourself to do it. One must pray ceaselessly for the grace of ceaseless prayer. Ceaseless prayer is obtained uh, not by forcing oneself to do it, but by begging for it. I, I know that I've shared with you that for years and years I tried to force myself to practice ceaseless prayer. And sometimes I'd get as far as two or three weeks, and then I would uh, fail miserably and have to start all over again. Or sometimes I would just say, oh, I'm giving this up. This is, can never be done. It's impossible. And then, I, I, I think I've shared with you, it was through the intercession of Ibn Aimé that one day uh, I, I became aware of this prayer bubbling up inside, like, like a little, little subterranean stream that had just bubbled up to the surface. And um, then I realized that uh, I had to clear away all the debris in my heart in order to allow the, the, the subterranean stream to, to, to spring up. Sometimes you see this in the forest, um, walking, there'll be a wet patch in the ground. And if you dig, if you remove the, the leaves and the branches and the rocks and the debris, and if you begin to dig, like uh, Bernadette at, at, at Lourdes, uh, you, you, you see that coming up through the mud, uh, there's first a dirty water and then a clear spring. It's the same way with the prayer of the heart. Uh, one can only do so much in terms of clearing away the debris. Uh, one must also call upon God to clear away the debris. A pure heart create for me, O God, put his steadfast spirit within me. Um, Benedictine silence ultimately is a way of listening to God. It is a way of responding to the silence of the host with the silence of adoration. Of late, I've been very, very um, seized by the silence of the host. I, I just... The silence of the host. Tacere et adorare. Be still and adore. Our declarations are particularly compelling on the practice of what I like to call a Eucharistic silence. We read in our declarations, the silence of the sacred host must reign, not only over the hearts, minds, and lips of the monks, but over the entire monastery and its land, so as to foster an atmosphere of order and of peace conducive to ceaseless adoration. One of the great benefits of the new oratory will be um, that the building will be completely separated from the rest of the monastery. There will be nothing under it, no kitchen under it, uh, no rooms above it, nothing uh, to the sides. It will be completely isolated. So it will be a very silent oratory and um, uh, people will not uh, uh, people will, from the outside will, will simply come in from the entrances provided for them. Uh, but the monastery, the, 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 the oratory itself, will be in a, in a context, an architectural context that fosters 
and it protects silence. So I'm, I'm very eager for us to have our oratory because now, uh, as things are, one hears conversations coming up from below and conversations wafting down from above and from outside and so forth. Well, that's what you have when the oratory is in a converted drawing room, you know? But when we have the, the new oratory, it will be uh, more silent. The declarations say, by practicing silence at all times, the monks will avoid innumerable sins of the tongue and foster both within themselves and within the monastery an atmosphere that offers optimal resonance to the Word of God. The, the 12th century um, abbatial churches that one finds, for example, in the south of France, um, were constructed with a view or with an ear to providing a space, a virginal space, that would give optimal resonance to the chanting of the Word of God. And in that way, uh, an Abbey Church is, in its, is a kind of image of the heart of the monk. The heart of the monk has to be a virginal space affording optimal resonance to the Word of God. Again, the declarations, by assiduous contemplation and adoration of the sacred host, the monks will come to love the observance of silence, by which it is given them to imitate the sacramental state of the incarnate Word, who now, in the most holy sacrament of the altar, as once in his hidden life and bitter passion, remains silent and still, Jesus autentashebat. So for us, um, the, the host uh, is our is adoration of the sacred host is 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 the best school of silence. There we find ourselves in the present in the presence of the Word, uh, the Word um, who speaks by silence. And I'm sure that uh, you have all at one moment or another experienced this during your times of adoration, this astonishment. I'm here in the presence of the Word, and the Word is silent. 